Chapter Seven of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Seven, The Wonderful Adventure of Michael the Office Boy and Jerry the Janitor. I say, Father," said Michael during the routine work of the next morning. "I told Jerry about that morrow mix-up yesterday." Jerry, the reader should know, is the engineer and janitor of St. Xavier's School. He is a young Irishman of impulsive disposition, having at that time a wife and a little baby upon which he doted. Why did you tell him? Oh, I don't know. It was a pretty good story, you know, and I kinder thought it would interest him. And did it? It certainly did. When I told Jerry about the children nearly starving, he sighed like the engine of a freight train when it's got a big load. The picture was vivid, if overdrawn. Didn't he say anything? Say, he made speeches. He told me never to drink a glass of beer as long as I lived, and then I wouldn't starve my children. I got back at him and asked him how about himself. He said, "I only take a glass of beer now and then." I said, "That's what every saloon bum in this parish says," and that's true, father. Then Jerry got mad and offered to throw me out of the window. How did you escape that, Michael? Oh, easily. I said. Jerry, before you throw me out, let me tell you about Mrs. Murrow's black eye. That fetched Jerry, and when I told him all I knew, he hopped up and down this office, grunting and choking to beat the band. Then he told me what he thought about men that starved their families for beer and whiskey, and what he did think about them was a plenty. He said that the little baby was worth all the beer that ever came out of Noah's Ark. I say, father, why do people spend their time drinking beer? Why don't they take chocolate soda? Well, Michael, what was the result of your talk with Jerry? It's a long story, Father. Let's hear it. Well, Jerry, after making a lot of speeches about that something ought to be done, I asked him what. He said, "Michael, we must get that man into line." How are you going to do it? Said I. Leave that to me," said he. Then he got me to promise to go with him and visit the family that night. I didn't care about going. But Jerry insisted. The fact is, Jerry didn't know the way, and I did. That's why he wanted me, I think. So after supper, I met Jerry at Sixth and Sycamore. Upon my word, I put in. Yes, we met all right, and on the road down, you should have heard the line of talk Jerry handed out to me. He said that the only way to bring people to the right path was by kindness. Scolding was no good. Punishing people or starting any kind of a rough house was bad. Always bad. Jerry got so worked up talking this way that we were both near to crying, and when we came to a little grocery on Sycamore between Third and Fourth, nothing would do Jerry but to go in and get fifty cents worth of provisions, done up in a little basket, not quite as large as the hats the women are wearing nowadays. Jerry didn't have but forty cents about him. I had to loan him the last time I had. He promised to pay me the first thing this morning. He hasn't. Never mind that dime, Michael. Go on. We did go on, Father, and Jerry explained how he would present the basket to the mother, and then get to talking with the father. The great mistake, Michael, he said, with these charity sharps, is that they go pottering about among the women. Why, Michael, he said, you can't do nothing with women. They don't know their own minds long enough to make them up. What you want to do is to get the men. You can reason with men, Michael. Says he, "You can get them to see things just as easy as not. 
and then michael says he once you've got the men going right you'll have the women feeding out of your hand then he got back to his first line of talk he told me always to be patient and gentle with people even when good common sense told me to go at them with both fists he said that the man who kept his temper and was always kind was the man who always won out we'll have to get jerry to preach next sunday i observed well he did give me a real good sermon and by the time he had finished in fact before he had finished we reached the building now remember michael as long as you live he said in dealing with unfortunate people like these never to lose patience much as i admire father carney if he only was a little bit just a little bit more patient there'd be no standing him did you agree with him michael i why yes father at the time i did thank you michael proceed by this time father we were on our way up the last flight of stairs and then we began to hear some very loud talking up above it was a man's voice we heard he was saying that he didn't want anybody interfering with him if he wanted a drink that he was a free-born american citizen and don't you forget it that if anybody from his wife up to the president of the united states tried to interfere with him when he wanted a drink he was the guy who'd show them where they got off that's mr morrow talking i said to jerry the old fool growled jerry then we heard another voice it was his wife's she said that the children were half starved because he was drinking too much so you mean to say i'm a drunkard cried morrow i'm afraid you are answered his wife then we heard him curse and then a loud squeal shriek michael yes a shriek we were at the door by that time me with the basket on my arm and jerry in front he gave a thundering knock at the door and when mr morrow said to come in he threw open the door the woman was crouching in the farthest corner with three children sticking to her her arms were up as if to guard her face and the man was walking toward us what do you want he said good evening everybody says jerry i want to see mr morrow i'm the man said morrow what is it i want to speak with you in private says jerry it's important morrow stepped out and jerry closed the door you're not a policeman are you says morrow indeed and i'm not says jerry suppose mr morrow we come downstairs and have a drink sure says morrow and down the steps they went arm in arm like two long-lost brothers when we got to the second floor we walked to the front part of the corridor where that woman lives with her son and two daughters that alice told you about you remember most distinctly michael i answered i could see that michael had something worth telling go on boy don't leave anything out there was the smoking lamp at the furthest end of the corridor the end looked north on third street and right below it was a water faucet and jerry marched him up turned on the faucet and said in a voice that wasn't exactly a whisper now you son of a sea cook take your drink that continued the voracious michael was not exactly what jerry called him in fact he you may let it go at that michael thank you father said michael visibly relieved then he gave mr morrow a squeeze and a whirl and before you could know it he had his head under that water faucet the cussing and swearing that mr morrow let out would almost scare you but jerry stopped that pretty quick he jerked his head round and the water got into mr morrow's mouth and set him to coughing and choking something awful then he began kicking jerry's shins but jerry just held on and didn't seem to notice at all you will drink beer yelled jerry 
Hey, Michael, turn on the faucet stronger. I turned it all the way. My leg is sore yet from the kick I got. I thought Mr. Morrow would be drowned, but Jerry didn't seem to take notice. By this time, the woman and her boy and two girls were out in the hall and making comments. The woman had a face that looked like a flower garden in summer, a flower garden with nothing but red flowers, but Jerry didn't notice them either. You will beat your wife, you old beer barrel, Mr. Morrow kept on kicking. He landed this time square on Jerry's shin. Stop your kicking, or I'll hold your head here forever, roared Jerry. Father, it's a wonder by this time the whole police and fire department wasn't there. Jerry was making such a row. He didn't know it. I guess he thought he was whispering. You see, he was mad all through. Mr. Morrow gave another kick and then stopped. Jerry was choking him. It was all quiet for a minute, nothing but the sound of the water spouting over that man's head. Jerry was dripping water, too, but he didn't notice it. Then that woman, whose face was all broke out into a flower garden, says, It's a wonder a man can't take an extra glass of beer or two without a lot of busybodies coming around and trying to drown him. Woman, bawled Jerry. Mind your business. With that he took the man's head from under the faucet. Mr. Murrow had no fight left in him. He stood there blinking and sputtering. Jerry, I whispered, you're forgetting the basket. Give it here, he shouted. I handed it over to Jerry, and the next thing you know, he clapped that basket, grub and all, over Mr. Morrow's head. He made it fit, too, somehow or other. Just then Mrs. Morrow came running down the stairs, and when she saw Jerry bonneting her husband, she screamed. At that, out came the woman with the all-rose face from her room with a broom in her hand, and made toward Jerry. Run, cried Jerry, and down the stairs we went, nearly breaking our necks, and not stopping until we were out on third. During this graphic recital, I tried in vain to keep a sober face. You and Jerry should get up a new organization for practical philanthropy. By the way, isn't Jerry out there now? Call him in. Jerry entered looking too virtuous to be true. How are your shins, Jerry? Jerry looked at Michael, and understanding that the young gentleman had told the adventure, burst into a laugh that caused a flutter, as I afterward learned, among the eighth-grade girls just above. I have been very much edified, Jerry, by Michael's account of your charity work. Jerry grinned and reached for his knee, which he rubbed gingerly. It isn't all roses, this charity work, Jerry. I should say not, father. Where is that ten cents you owe Michael? Oh, cried Jerry, I forgot all about it. I'll go and get it right off. And Jerry turned to go. He was anxious to escape. Hold on, Jerry, I'll pay that dime myself. Here you are, Michael, I continued, handing the youngster a quarter, and don't squander it. I understand, Jerry, that you've got some very good ideas as to how we should deal with poor people, especially when there's drink in the family. You must get the man first, always the man, put in Michael. A lot of these charity sharps go pottering around after the woman folk, and there's nothing doing. You little devil, said Jerry. It was an attempt on his part at a whisper. Anyone in the next room could have heard it. And, continued Michael with solemn face, though his eyes were dancing, you must never lose your patience. You must be all charity. Jerry is the guy who put the tea in charity. Jerry said nothing, but they were interior rumblings, expressive of intense disgust. Also, as I saw out of the corner of my eye, there were certain pamimonic signs directed by Jerry at Michael, expressing clearly his intention of punching, on the first favorable opportunity, that young gentleman's head. 
and on no account michael went on is there to be any harshness and especially no rough house what about environment jerry i asked what's that father environment did you look up the environment of the family i didn't notice any what you call it father you see i didn't have a good look into their room we didn't stay as long as i intended i should say not interjected michael and the way we did get out with a woman chasing us with a broomstick was a sight for sore eyes sure said jerry eyeing the youth with great disfavor the sight of your broomstick legs and your pie face would start a whole blind asylum to going to moving picture shows and then jerry i continued did you go into the matter of heredity i went as far as their room all right answered jerry ah jerry you may be a practical philanthropist but you're not at all scientific ain't i inquired jerry anxiously no you are not all the same put in the relentless michael he gave mr morrow the water treatment if that ain't science i'd like to know what is cut it out you pop-eyed skeleton cried jerry if you'd been scientific you'd have spent a week at least in studying the surroundings of the morrow family and then you'd have spent a month or two in finding all about mr morrow's forebears all the way up to his great-grandfather sure i don't want to know any more of its relations you old beer barrel that's heredity i went on if you'd been more scientific you'd have done nothing well then i'm glad i'm not scientific but he was so patient said michael sweetly he walked down one flight of stairs arm in arm with mr morrow the two of them looked like a pair of cooing doves jerry glared at michael and opened his mouth to say what he thought of him but the proper words not coming remained open mouthed while michael serenely continued jerry's got you skinned on charity father carney he says you're just great but you'd be the biggest man that ever came down the pike if you only had a teeny weeny bit more patience oh jerry studied it out he knows what he's talking about i never saw anyone so patient as he was as he stood for ever so long holding mr murrow under the water spout jerry's mouth remained open but the blood rushed to his face he was boiling over and speechless i came to the rescue jerry i said i must say i wouldn't do what you did you're not patient enough interpolated michael be good enough not to interrupt me michael can't you listen to the father cried jerry recovering his speech little gutter snipes like you are all tongues and no ears but all the same jerry i went on you did what i'm inclined to believe was the right thing did you hear that you hot air furnace and jerry glared at michael you acted on impulse and sometimes impulse is the very thing to act on thank you father said jerry beginning to smile only i continued i wouldn't advise you to get the habit of using the water faucet whenever you in your charity go pottering after the men did that limb of satan tell your reverence that i said you might be a little more patient i rather think he did jerry looked as though he could never smile again never mind jerry you are perfectly right cheer up jerry everybody's doing it added michael End of chapter 7 Recording by Maria Therese